John chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verse number 16. Last week we talked about the incarnation. And remember we said that the incarnation, you know, sometimes that's a big word and it confuses people. But the incarnation refers to the time when God the Son came to this earth and took on human flesh that he might be able to live among people and then to be able to die for our sins. Now there's no way God could have done that without becoming a human. To do that. And so that's what the incarnation is all about. We looked at it from the uh, eternal standpoint. We looked at it from a historical standpoint. This morning we're going to take a look at it from God the Father's standpoint. Now, for those of you who are parents, you can uh, just get a little glimpse, maybe, of what it must have been like for the Father. As you think about this, Jesus Christ left heaven and he came to this earth and he Coming to this earth, he, he lived among men, and during the time he was here, when he hung on that cross, he actually was abandoned by the Father for those three hours. Remember, Jesus cried out and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's because God the Father could not look upon him in his holiness and look on Christ who was bearing our sins on the cross. And so, as we look at this verse, John chapter 3 and verse number 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. A verse that most of us have heard many times. And yet one that is full of expression as we think about the incarnation and from the Father's perspective. And this morning as we look at this, I want us to notice several things that will help us to discover some amazing benefits that we find from the Father's perspective as he looked down at the Incarnation. Now, first of all, to the Father, the Incarnation of Jesus Christ was an expression of love. It was an expression of love. We see here in our verse, it says, For God so loved the world. It was an expression of God's love. Now, his love for sinners is incomprehensible. There's no way that we can comprehend that. It is beyond our comprehension to think that God would love us. And as we break this down and look at it, what makes it so incomprehensible? What makes it so amazing, the love of God? Well, first of all, the very fact that he is God. I mean, he is the sovereign of the universe. He is the one that created everything. To think that he would even notice me is amazing. He is the God of all things. There's nothing that he doesn't own. It's all his. He, be, he created it all, and yet he loves us. Amazing. Not only that, but God's love is his choice to meet our needs sacrificially. The word love here is the word agape, which means it is a giving love. It's a sacrificial love. It is a love that meets the needs of another, even though there's nothing that will come back in return. And God loves us. There's nothing about us, as God looked at us, that caused him to want to do this. It was his choice to love us. That's amazing. And it says that God so loved the world. The world. What does the world refer to? It's not just talking about the globe. It's referring to the the wicked, sinful people of this age that we live in, the world that we live in, the sinful race. You know, all of us have one thing in common. We're all sinners. 
You know, often when I meet people and talk to them about the Lord, one of the things I often will do is say, you know, I don't know anything about you. In fact, I did this this week. I met a guy. Uh, we're going out, knocking on some doors and meeting some people. And I met this fellow. And I said, you know, as I talked with him, he started opening up a little bit. And I said, you know, I know nothing at all about you. But I know one thing we have in common. I said, we're both sinners. And he looked at me like, well, you know, that's for sure. All right. We've all sinned. And we've all done wrong. And as a result... It amazes us to think that God would love sinners like us. You know, if you really take a look at your life, at what you've done, how you've lived, and you ask yourself, why would God love me? It's amazing. It's amazing. And then we find that little word, so. It says, for God so loved the world. The word so there literally means in this manner. And it points us back. You have to look, well, what manner is he talking about? You flip back to two verses before in verse 14, and it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, if you don't know the stories of the Old Testament, that doesn't mean anything to you. But if you go back to Numbers chapter 21, we find there was a time in Israel's history when the nation of Israel was sinning against God, and they were rebelling against God, and God says, I've had enough of that, and God sent some deadly snakes in among the the people, and the people were dying one right after another. And they cried out, oh God, we're sorry, we're sorry, we've been sinful, please do something to save us. And God told Moses to do something unusual. He said, Moses, I want you to make a snake out of brass that looks like the snakes that are biting these people. And I want you to put it up on a long pole way up high in the air so that anyone who is bitten by a snake can look at that pole, believe that I told you to put that pole there, and believe that I will heal him, and just like that I'll heal him. And God did. And anyone who trusted God and said, I believe, and I'm going to go, where's that pole? I got bit, I got to look. And he was healed. But the ones that said, that's not going to do any good, just a brass snake, that's not going to help me any, they died. And so, and he says here, just as Moses was lifted up, the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, what's that referring to? The Son of Man refers to Jesus Christ, and he was lifted up on the cross. And he was lifted up on the cross, and all who will turn and look to the cross of Jesus Christ and realize that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, he took our sins for us. He said, all who will do that will be saved. So that's why when God said, for God so loved the world. He so loved it. He loved it so much that he was willing to let his son die for us. That's amazing. That's amazing. And God loved us so much that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. Gave his only begotten son. He gave his son. He allowed his son to come to this earth to become a man and die on a cross to pay for my sin and your sin because he loved us. You know, I don't think there's a parent here that would say, I'd happily give up my son to die for a bunch of wicked sinners. (laughs) If someone asked me, I'd say, forget it. I'm sorry. I'm not that kind and loving. I'm not going to give up my son for a bunch of rotten sinners. And yet God did. He loved us that much. And it's hard for us to comprehend that. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8 says, But God commended his love toward us, and while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
while we're still sinners. God didn't, I'm, I'm so thankful, God didn't come to me and say, you clean up your life and straighten up your lack and stop being bad and I'll think about maybe saving you. He didn't do that. He saved us while we were yet sinners. He came to us and said, if you are willing to admit that you're guilty, I will save you and give you eternal life. That's so simple. And yet he did that, and I'm thankful that he didn't make us do something to earn it. It was his gift. God so loved the world. And we cannot grasp how a holy God can love sinners like us. John chapter, first John chapter 4 and verses 9 and 10 describe it in this way. It says, and this was manifest the love of God. Manifest means to be made known. So when this was made known, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We've talked about that big word propitiation in the past. It's a great big word, but it simply means this, that God took all, or Jesus Christ took all of the wrath of God for my sin and your sin upon himself, and he paid for it all. So that when he paid for our sins on the cross, he was able to say, it is finished. And all was taken care of that we can have eternal life. And all that is left for us to do is to come to him and admit our guilt and believe that he did it for us. Put our trust in him. It isn't just a matter of believing a story, it is putting our trust in what he did for us. He paid the debt, and I will trust him to take care of my sin debt. And that is what salvation is all about. That's why it is not religion. You know, religion just really frustrates me to no end. Because religion is out there telling people, oh, be good, say your prayers, go to church, take communion, get baptized, be a nice person, and all will be well in the end. God will let you in. He loves everybody. That is a lie. That's not what God said would save us. Why? He said our problem is our sin. He said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Religion's not going to save us. Only Jesus Christ can save us. Only Jesus Christ died on the cross. Only Jesus Christ, through God's love, is able to save your soul from hell and give you peace and eternal life for all eternity. That's only God can do that. And so we need to make sure we understand the love of God. Not only was his love incomprehensible, but his love for sinners is matchless. There's never been a love like that. His love is amazing. There is no greater love. In Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, he prayed this. He said, I pray that you may be able to comprehend with all saints... What is the breadth and length and depth and height? And to know the love of Christ, which passeth all, uh, passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. He said it passes knowledge. It's beyond our comprehension. We cannot grasp it. How true that is. I like a song that's not in our hymn book, but I remember singing it as a young lad in the church that I was in. It's a song called, No One Ever Cared for Me Like Jesus. And the second verse of that song goes like this. All my life was, all my life was full of sin and 
When Jesus found me, all my heart was full of misery and woe. Jesus placed his strong and loving arms about me. He led me in the way I ought to go. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. That song is so rich. God's love is matchless. So when the Father looked down at the Incarnation, as he thought of the Incarnation, it was an expression of his love. But secondly, it was an endowment or a gift of his grace. It was a gift of his grace. God graciously gave his Son. He graciously did that. God sent his Son to earth to save us. Now the word grace... Grace is something that we don't merit, we don't earn. It is something God does for us, though we don't deserve it. And he graciously saves those who will put their faith in him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 14 says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He sent the Son to be the Savior. That's why he came. And God gave his Son to die without charge to us. But it cost him dearly. Sometimes I think we forget the cost that was involved in paying for our sin. Romans chapter 3 and verse 24 says, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified. Justified in a very simple definition means to be made just as if I'd never sinned. That's a very simplified definition. But God makes, He justifies us. He declares us absolutely clean when we come to Him for salvation. And religion can't do that. Being good can't do that. Getting baptized can't do that. It's only faith in Christ that can justify and wash us clean. And He says here, being justified freely by His grace. And it's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God, in His salvation, is the only way to eternal life, and it is only by grace. It's only by grace. You know, if you could clean up your life, and if you could change your bad habits, and you could wash out your filthy mouth, and you could uh, just delete all the, the garbage out of your brain, and you could perform the most amazing religious activities, you couldn't earn one second in heaven. Not one second if you could clean up everything in your life. Because we can't fix our problem. Changing, you know, it's just like I often tell people. If you told a lie yesterday, how much good would you have to do today to erase yesterday's lie? You can't. You can't. It needs to be forgiven. And forgiveness against God, when we sin against God, we need God's forgiveness. And when God forgives us, He washes us clean. He justifies us. That's why in the book of Psalms, we read in Psalm 103, uh, 12, He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. When He washes us clean, it's gone forever. That is amazing. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. 
It doesn't matter how evil you've been. If you come to Christ with a broken heart and say, God, I believe, I trust you, I want you to wash me clean. He says, I will wash you clean. I will justify you, make you as if you'd never sinned. Wash you clean. That's a wonderful truth. And we need God's justification. Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says, Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. He said, if you do something and you work for it, it's not grace, that is a debt. Each of you who worked this week, and you at the end of the week, at the end of the fortnight, or whenever you get paid, you expect to get paid. And if the boss says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to pay you this week. Say, hang on now, you've got to pay me, I earned that. You owe it to me. And that's what God's saying. If we could work for our salvation, then we would, God would owe it to us. And God says, I don't owe you anything. It is only by grace. You cannot earn it. You cannot buy it. You cannot merit it. You cannot do anything for it. It is not because of anything you've done. You cannot change your life to get clean up your life. You can't do anything. It is only when we come to God and say, God, I am a sinner. Remember the story that Jesus told of the prodigal son in Luke 15? The prodigal son was a young man that uh, he was on the rebellious side, and he just came to the place where he says, Dad, I'm sick of living on the farm. I don't want to live here anymore. I want to go to the city, and I want to live it up, and I want to have a good time, and I want to do my own thing, and I don't want you telling me what to do. But, Dad, I'd like my inheritance right now, and I want to be able to take off and, and spend my inheritance while i got some life and vigor in me. And Dad, with a broken heart, said, Okay, son, it's not right, but I'll give it to you. And he gave him his inheritance. The son ran off, went to the big city, spent his money on wicked, filthy, vile living. And it all ran out. And when the money was gone, he had nowhere to go. A Jewish young lad with no work, no place to go. And he finally found a Gentile farmer that had pigs. And he went to work for the Gentile farmer feeding the pigs. The lowest despicable thing for a Jew to do is to feed the pigs. And he was doing that to be able to survive. And he said, I'm so hungry. I feel like just eating what the pigs are eating. I'm starving hungry. This is terrible. And then he said, I know what I'll do. He says, my dad, he's got servants that eat far better than me. I will go back and I will say, Dad, I am unworthy to be your son. I have sinned against heaven and against you. Would you please forgive me and make me one of your hired servants? I don't deserve to be your son. With that broken spirit, he went back and what happened? Dad welcomed him home and forgave him. Now, that is a picture of God's love. God loves you. If you will humble yourself and you will come to God and say, God, I've been wrong. I have sinned. I have been wicked. I have been a terrible person. But God, I believe that you paid for my sin. And and you put your trust in him. By grace, he will wash you clean. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to merit it. You cannot buy it. It is by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 uh, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. God knows that we are proud, boastful people. And if we did one little thing to get into heaven, we'd strut around heaven saying, I got in because I did this. God says there won't be anybody boasting in heaven because it's all by grace. 
It's all by grace. And God will graciously give us all that we need. Once we trust Him as our Savior, He will take care of us. We become His child and He will meet our needs. There's a great verse. Think on this verse. Write it down if you're not familiar with the verse. Romans 8.32. It says, And God spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? He said, If He died for you, gave His Son for you, what makes you think He won't give you everything else you need? He will. He will meet your needs. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, God, I need a new Mercedes. Would you please send it on tomorrow? That's not a need. That's a greed. God will take care of our needs and provide for us. And God has promised to. But it wasn't particularly talking about our physical needs here. He goes on in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 16, and kind of clarifies it. He says he, uh, that he gives us what we need to live for him. It says there that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God gives us everything we need to meet our needs, to provide for us so we can live for his glory. That's what God wants us to do. So, we've looked at, first of all, from the Father's perspective, that the Father... Uh, the incarnation of his son it was an expression of his love secondly it was an endowment of his grace number three it was an enablement of his will now what do I mean by that well God created man for his pleasure now as you think about that way back in the garden of Eden 6,000 years ago when God created Adam and Eve God created Adam and Eve for his pleasure. We read in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. God got pleasure in the creation that he made. He wanted men and women to fellowship with him. We read there in Genesis 3 how God walked and talked in the garden with Adam and Eve. What an amazing thing that would be to actually take a walk out in the garden with God Almighty, the creator of the universe. But that's what they did. They had that privilege until they disobeyed God and sinned. And when they sinned, this fellowship was broken. And God, as we talked about last week, he knew that that would happen. And he prepared for that. And he sent his son to pay the debt for our sin. That's why the incarnation enables God to fellowship with man again. Once God forgives our sin, the sin doesn't block us from going to heaven. The sin doesn't block our fellowship with God. Because right now, if you don't know Christ your Savior, you cannot fellowship with God. Zero. Not at all. Why? Because your sin blocks it. And you cannot fellowship with God. But once He washes our sins away and cleanses us, we can have fellowship with God. We can talk to God. We can pray. We can sing to God. We can enjoy His fellowship. Now, we don't, I didn't take a stroll in the garden physically with God this morning, but I had a good talk with Him while I was on my walk. Alright? And I can do that. Why? Because of, He's washed me clean. And so can you, if you've known Christ as your Savior. And there's an enablement to be able to fulfill his will. That was God's will. It was God's will that he would be able to talk and communicate with man. But man messed that up with their sin. The incarnation then enabled God to save sinners. 
It enabled him to do that. That was his will. We read in John chapter 3, verse 16, the verse here. Notice carefully, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Why? That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He said, that's why. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to have everlasting life. That's why he loves us. That's why he gave his Son. And it is God's will to give believers life. John chapter 6, Jesus was talking again in verse number 40. He says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that seeth the Son and believeth in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. He says, That's God's will. That's my will. That's what I want. That's what God wants. We see also in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, that he wants to deliver us, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. Jesus Christ gave himself to deliver us from this world, to deliver us from the sins of this world. You know, there are many people today that are addicted by sin, and they're in bondage by sin. It's like they're chained up. They can't get loose from their sins. And God says, I want to set them free. I want to give them victory over that. I don't want them to be stuck on those things. I want to give them joy and happiness and a freedom that they can only have in Christ. He delivered us from the sinful world, this world. And then he desires to save all people. First Timothy 2, and verse number 4, who will have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. He doesn't want just a few. He wants everyone to be saved. And God is not willing that any should perish. Second Peter chapter 2, and verse 9, tells us there that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but it's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't want anyone to miss out on heaven. He wants everyone to be able to go. And so, the incarnation enabled him to save sinners by coming to this earth. But it also enabled believers to do God's will. Once we put our faith and trust in Him and believe on Him, then it enables us to do God's will. Unbelievers cannot fellowship with God. I mentioned this a moment ago. It's impossible. But obedient Christians can. First John 1, 7 says this. It says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, is cleansing us from all sin. He said if we're walking in the light, that means living a life that is pleasing to Him. Not walking in sinful darkness, but doing what is right. And we can do that if we know Christ our Savior. We can't do that if we don't. And so that is a privilege that we have. And God's will for your life and mine is that we might be saved and live to please Him. That's God's will. That's what God desires from you and from me. That we would live to please Him. Several verses as I close just to help you to understand this. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. It says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants you to know his will. He wants you to do his will. And he wants you to live his will. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. If someone was to ask you this morning, what's God's will for your life? If you say, I don't know. Well, you need to get into the Bible and dig it out. There's several things that are very clearly God's will for every Christian's life. Then there's some specific things that God has for each of us to do. You know, God may have a particular ministry he wants you to be involved in, but you will never find that until you surrender and say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. You show me and I'll follow. So God has a plan for your life. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 6 
It says, not with eye service as men pleases, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Here he's given instruction in Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6. He's given instruction to the husbands and the wives and to children and to servants. And when he gets to this section, he's dealing with the servants. And he's saying, all right, now listen, what you need to do is God wants you as a Christian, he wants you to work not with eye service as men pleasers. Now, We've all seen people, and hopefully we haven't done this, but we've seen people at work do this, you know. Boss walks out. Oh, okay, we can sit back and take a little chat and a little nap. And Oh, here comes the boss. I'm back to work again. And they're men pleasers. They just do what they are supposed to do in order to please somebody, and they work when they're watched, and when they're not watched, then they kind of loaf off, don't do the job. And he says, as a Christian, that's not what we should do. He says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ. He says, work as this, you were working for Christ. And doing the will of God from the heart. It's from the heart we say, I'm going to do my job the best I can because I'm doing it for God, not just for my boss, I'm doing it for the Lord. And I'm going to do it the best I can from my heart because I want to. And so he gives us that instruction. Then in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, we read, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, that ye may desire to be, uh, and desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He said, I'm praying for you. I want you to understand the knowledge of God's will. Now, how do we find God's will? You don't get it through a dream. You're not going to get it through some experience. You get it from spending time reading the Bible. And folks, you will never spend too much time reading this book. This book will guide you in truth. This book will point you in the right direction. This book will not lead you astray. God will never lead you contrary to this book. When people tell me, God told me to do this, and they're telling me something that's not in the Bible, I'm saying, I'm sorry, but God didn't tell you that. Oh, you can't say that. I said I can because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible's would never, God would never lead you contrary to the Bible. That's his word. He, he cannot break his word. He's going to do the truth. And so the Bible is our guide to guide us into truth. We need the wisdom and the spiritual understanding that's in the Bible. Then 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Sanctification means to be made more holy. And he says in order to do that, you need to abstain from fornication. It's not very popular in our world today. People are immoral all the time. They sleep with anybody they want to sleep with, and they do whatever they want to do. And and God says that's not right. He says, as a Christian, you need to abstain from that, and you need to uh, follow me that you might be able to be sanctified, made holy. Then one last thing he tells us that it is his will. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21, he says, to make you perfect in every good work, to do his will, Working in you that which is well-pleasing in the sight and his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says there that he, God wants to make you perfect or mature or built up and strengthened and that you might be able to do his will, to do his work. And so this morning as we think about this, we've seen three different aspects of the Father's view of the Incarnation. God the Father looking down upon His Son as He came to this earth, and it was an expression of His love. He showed us He loved us unconditionally and matchlessly, and 
incomprehensibly. We cannot comprehend the love of God. He loved us. And he endowed us with his grace or gave us his grace. The grace of God to save us. The grace of God to live for him. And he gives us that grace freely. And then he enables us to do his will. We couldn't possibly do God's will if we didn't know him as our Savior. We need to know God. And he enables us to do his will. And now the incarnation then enables us, first of all, to know God's love. Secondly, to receive God's grace. And thirdly, to do God's will. It enables us to do that. And so God wants us to walk in his ways. And so this morning as we think on these things, it all hinges on one thing. It all hinges on one thing. How can we possibly do all this? We must repent and trust Christ alone to save us. Without that, you'll never be able to do that. Without that, you'll never be able to follow these things that he's telling us to do. It all hinges on this. And you know, that's why every one of us need to come to the place, just like that prodigal son, where we are willing to admit, I was wrong. And God is right. And I will humble myself before him and seek his forgiveness and cleansing. That's where it all begins. It's not hard, but yet it's one of the hardest things we could possibly do. Even though it isn't difficult. It's hard on our pride. And if you've never trusted Christ your Savior, that's where it has to begin. Religion can't do it for you. Being good can't do it for you. God's not coming to you and say, change all your life, get rid of all your sin and clean up your act and maybe I'll save you when you get it all cleaned up. That's not what it is. It's coming to God as you are. We sing that song sometimes, just as I am, without one plea. But as uh, we come to God just as we are, that's what God wants. And God will change us. It isn't me changing me, it's God changing me. And that's what God wants for your life. But if you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, then we need to ask ourselves that question. Are we walking worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing? Are we living our lives to do His will? Are you seeking to put Christ first in everything you do? That is what God wants. He wants every day, He wants me to live to be a blessing to Him. To be an encouragement to Him. To follow His steps. That's what He wants from me. That's what He wants from you. And yet, He sent Jesus Christ to this earth to pay the debt that we might be able to do that. That's a wonderful truth. So there's something in it for all of us this morning. If you're here without Jesus Christ, there's never been a time when you've asked Christ to save you and give you eternal life. He offers that to you. If you'll come to him and say, that's what I need, I'd be happy to talk with you about it. If you've got a need, just come see me or one of the other people. Come see them and say, hey, can I talk to you about this? i got some questions. Let us help you. But not only that, but if you know Christ your Savior, then examine your own heart and ask yourself, am I living worthy of what Christ did for me? Am I living a life that is worthy of what He did for me? After all He's done for me. Remember God's love. Wonderful love.